from verse 15. Um, and he said to them, yeah, Luke chapter 12 from verse 15, and he yes. said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful, plent plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my bands and build greater. And there I will store all my crops for my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then, then who, who will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Hallelujah. Um, there's so much, thank you very much for um, reading also. There's so much parts in this um, parable that we just read, but I want to highlight a few things um, to, uh, to set the foundation for us today. So from verse 15, what Jesus said in verse 15, right, uh, was take heed and beware of covetousness. So he began by telling them why basically giving them the summary of the parable he's about to give. And the parable is about covetousness and how we need to be careful. And the reason is because a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession or in the, or in the abundance of things he possesses. And this is also a revelation to us as to how heaven views a person's life. That is very easy for us to um, assign significance, all right? Uh, please give me one, one second, please. Just take, take seconds. Okay, sorry about that. I just need to shut the window from against noise. Okay, so you know it's very typical and easy for us as humans to measure the significance of a man's life in material things in terms of. Uh, material possessions, because that's something we can easily see, we can easily handle, we can easily touch, okay? But Jesus is saying to us that when heaven looks at, the, at a man, heaven doesn't even consider how much he has. And think about this very closely. Think of the richest man in your village, for instance. Maybe he's a chief or he's a, a, like a business tycoon or anything. Think of the richest man in your city. And the Bible says that his life, according to the measurement of heaven, doesn't consist in what he has, meaning his possessions don't even add value to his life from, he from heaven's perspective. And what this does for us as believers is it sets our hearts in the right you know, tone or in the right, di right direction because what heaven looks at is not how much you have or how much you do not have. Heaven looks at um, something else. In fact, the Bible says that in the last verse, verse 21 where we read, he says, so is everyone who is, who is rich, but not towards God. He says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So there's riches of, of 
earth, but then there's riches that is towards God. And so the problem really is not having money. And I think I should say that upfront. The problem is not having money. God doesn't have a problem with us having money. God has a problem with money having us. And that's what he, Jesus Christ was pointing out here about covetousness. The, the problem with this man in the parable wasn't that he, he's, um, his uh, field yielded so much harvest. Because if you look at verse, um, verse 16, it says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. So it is safe to assume that it was God that gave that man increase because the Bible says the ground yielded plentifully. God blessed the ground. God gave him that increase. So God didn't have a problem with him having abundance or to put it in today's context, God doesn't have a problem with someone making so much profit from their business or you know getting promotions at job or money coming in. God doesn't have a problem at all. But like I said, the problem God has is when the possession possesses you and you no longer own it, but it owns you instead. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ um, said in this parable, just to paraphrase. So I'm saying I'm starting on this note to just to establish the groundwork for how God wants us to relate with finances or to relate with money. That we're relating with money without covetousness, without um, greediness. And just like Jesus Christ said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession, doesn't consist in the, in the abundance of his riches. And it is very, very, very tempting for us to measure our lives or measure our success in monetary value. I mean, if you ask, if, it, if, if you watch the news, for instance, and they say, this man is successful, you don't need any other interpretation. The meaning of success in that context, the money has to be involved in that definition by one way or the other. So you hear something like, oh, he has built 25 businesses. He owns um, 100 houses. He's worth X amount of money. And from a human standpoint, that is how we measure a person's life. And it's so bad that this person in question might be full of so much immorality or vices or whatever it is. But then this, because it's the standard of the world, it's not considered as a as a, anything anything to be worried about as long as he, he or she has money. But the Bible says again that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possession. Let me read Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28, just to show us something that uh, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs says as regarding this. Proverbs chapter, chapter 11, yes, verse 28. It says that, he that trusts in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. So, like I said, God's problem is not with the riches. God's problem is with us when we put our trust in the riches. And Proverbs spells it out very clearly that he who trusts in his riches shall fall. And um, history and scripture is filled with examples of people that trusted in their in their riches. In fact, the Bible says, woe to those who trust in horses. Horses then represent, um, represented strength and also represented riches because um, part of the ways you know, especially in terms of um, military might and, and um, riches, right, is the number of horses they had and the, the kind of horses they even had. And the Bible says that anybody that trusts in riches or in horses, as the case may be, they, 
the Bible calls that person cursed. And that's what Proverbs is saying, that whoever trusts in riches would fall. So saying all of this to establish that our relationship towards money is not from a place of us putting our trust in money, but rather a, from a place where we put our trust in God and money serves only as a tool in our hands. And as someone said this, I don't remember exactly how it was said, but um, something to this effect that money is a bad leader, but a good servant. Meaning the position money should always have in your life should be beneath you and not above you. Above you means money being your leader, being your head, but beneath you means money being your servant. And when you read the book of Acts, the Bible says something very prophetic and instructive that when the, um, as the number of disciples grew, people sold their lands and all of it um, and brought the money and dropped it at the apostles' feet. The money was placed at the apostles' feet, signifying the position that they gave money. They gave money the position of a servant. Not, it wasn't placed at their, on the apostles' shoulders or, or on the apostles' head, but it was placed at their feet to show the right position that money should occupy in our lives. So money should always be a servant. And this is what the scripture teaches all through. Okay, one last scripture before we move into the meat of today. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, this is a very popular passage. We must have quoted it either correctly or incorrectly at several times. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Anybody can read for us, please. Um, Praise God. Hallelujah, yep. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Wow. Like every time I read this scripture, I won't read it slowly because there's so much in there. It says that the love of money, and we might have heard this before, but just to retreat that the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Not at all. Um, because if that's what the Bible said, then every time Jesus spent money, he probably was walking in a, on an evil path. Jesus Christ spent money to pay taxes. Um, he spent money for several things, but he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money, meaning the inordinate affection for money. See, and, and this is, this it's inherent in every human being. We love money. We love money because of what it can give us, the comfort, the influence, the um, um, admiration, and sometimes even the honor that the money gives us. But Jesus is saying that when you have an inordinate affection, where you desire money, and which it typically starts from a from the a level of the flesh before a demon comes to, or a spirit comes to aid your desire for money. And which is why, I mean, we hear people going into cults or um, engaging in certain practices just to amass money. It didn't start from there. It started from just a desire to always have money. And meanwhile, just to say that the desire to have money in itself is not wrong. It is how that desire is fulfilled that the problem lies in. Because God puts, I mean, in, in everyone, the desire to, to have at least sufficient for yourself and to be able to give out to others. But then the problem comes when that desire, number one, is not under the government of God. Number two, and, and which is consequently now, the way the desire is satisfied is not under the government of, of God. And that begins, that leads to several activities from cheating to stealing. And then you, people begin to seek spiritual assistance to get money um, just to satisfy that desire. 
And when you dig deep into the soul of these kind of people, you find out that even they themselves self admit that they are empty, but they cannot, but they cannot but help that desire. It's just like somebody that has an uncontrollable urge for sex. At the end of that sex, they know that this is an empty life. But the next time, just the next hour or the next day, they're looking for another opportunity to have it. And that's what lust does. Lust never gets satisfied. And when someone is lusting after money, there is no amount of money that will satisfy that person. I, I mean, absolutely no amount of money that will satisfy that person. So Paul here, speaking to Timothy, said, the love of money is the root of all evil. And while some, which, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And let me just say this again to us, because <clears throat> many of us are, um, I, I don't know if there's anybody on this call that is, that is over 40. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're not over 40, then I'll just ask you, are still young, okay? And, you know, to understand, to, to understand the path you are on or the path you desire to walk on, just look at people that have walked that path and have, you know, they're at the end of that path. You Then you learn a lot of wisdom. And that's what Paul was saying here, that many people out of that desire and quest for money have pierced themselves with many sorrows, many sorrows. There are people that have done unthinkable things. They have cut themselves off <clears throat> from family, cut, them, cut themselves off, off from friends. They have backstabbed. And if we take it even further, they have killed, they have lied, they have cheated, done so many things, engaged in occultic practices just for money. And when, when they got their money, they realized that it was empty. Uh, but already it was, it was quote-unquote, too late because they had, they had pierced themselves with many sorrows. So again, laying all this foundation just so that we can have a proper um, disposition towards money and the way God wants us to relate with money. So like I said, money is good. It's fantastic, but only when it is acquired in the right, right um, way or in a godly way and when it occupies the right position in our lives, all right? So remember, today's study is the wisdom for finances. And in dealing with this wisdom, I identified three things that I want us to zoom in on for today, okay? And first of all, to leading us into this thing is to state that from God's perspective, right, God looks at money as um from a from a from the standpoint of stewardship so god doesn't just bless you because he wants to bless you and just make you you know have so much of course he loves you he wants you to be comfortable and that is settled all right i do not believe that god wants us to live from from paycheck to paycheck or to live from or to be to struggle financially i absolutely do not believe that you may be going through a season where finances, you know, you may not have so much, and but that should only be a season. That cannot be the default situation of your life. So I don't believe that, and there's no way in God's word where it states that we should all live in poverty as, the, as, as a sign of spirituality or anything like that. Absolutely not. However, from God's standpoint, when he blesses you, yes, he gives you, provides for your need. He provides um, for your necessities, okay? And the Bible says that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And then when you go to 2 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says his divine power has given us all that pertains to life and godliness. So God wants us to be comfortable and to be settled. However, from God's perspective, 
when he releases resources into our hands, he does so on the principle of stewardship. Stewardship is God's principle for resources in our hands. And stewardship here means that whatever you own in your hand or whatever he puts in your hand, you don't handle it from, um, you don't handle it as the owner of it. You handle it as a steward of, of it, okay? And let me read, uh, let's read Genesis just to portray this point. Because when you go back to the beginning, then you have an insight on, as to how God, what God was thinking and how, like what his disposition is towards certain things, at least from the beginning. So let's read Genesis chapter two. Uh, just give me a minute. Let me pull out the particular verse so we don't have to read so many verses. Um, okay, so Genesis chapter two, let me read from verse, from verse, uh, from verse 15, okay? And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So this is a short verse, but it tells us so much. Now for context, from Genesis chapter one and um, even chapter two, God, the Bible lets us know that God created the whole earth, you know, created the trees, the, the animals and everything that populated the earth. And last of all, he created man. Meaning that when man was created, man didn't have to walk. Everything was already present in the garden. And that is exactly what abundance uh, means. That everything you need is within your reach, is within your environment. Okay? So if we put that in today's terms or in, in, our, in our contemporary setting, it will mean that Adam had everything he could think of. He had cars, he had houses, he had money, he had clothes, he had food. He had everything he needed, okay? That means there was abundance, there was, there was prosperity, there was sufficiency, um, sufficiency rather, around him. This was God's, and this is God's idea, actually, that man doesn't need, everything a man needs should be provided for him. This is what God, God wants for us. And I keep saying this over and over whenever I get the opportunity that, Wealth from God's perspective isn't that you are the richest man on earth. If you are the richest man on earth, fantastic, that's great. But there's no promise from the Bible that says you would be the richest man on earth or you'd be the richest man in your village or the richest man in your city or whatever it is. There's no promise like that from the Bible. However, what God's word promises us, and this is our own definition of wealth, is that everything you need to fulfill the purpose of God for your life will be made available to you both fiscal resources and otherwise. And that is prosperity. That is real, the real definition of wealth. That everything you need for your life and for your destiny, uh, for, for the assignment God has called you on earth to do, will be provided for you, okay? So back to our Genesis chapter two. Um, and it says verse, verse 15, right? He put man in the garden of Eden and the next next. Next few words give, give us the instruction. It says to dress it and to keep it. So the reason why man was brought to a place of abundance was for him to take responsibility was because God was putting him as a steward over those things. And this is the way God views finances. That when he gives you resources, when he blesses you, when he increases you on all sides, he does so because he's making you a steward of those resources. He's not giving you money so you can pepper your neighbor. Or you can pepper that classmate that 
you know, that said to you, you will never make it in this life. Or that senior from secondary school that, that beats you so much is now time to show them your money. No, that's not why God gives us money. He blesses us with resources for the purpose of stewardship. And let me also say this, but let me stretch these thoughts a little further. That if you really are going to be wealthy, right? Let me use that word, wealthy in the sight of God, then you must first discover the reason why God wants to bless you with money. Because if you don't know why he's giving you so much money, if that revelation has not come to you, God will not allow those resources to come to you because obviously you are going to abuse it. And just like um, Masmuro says of blessed memory, when purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. So really the key to wealth and prosperity from God's perspective is the revelation of our stewardship in him, knowing why he's making you prosperous knowing why he's blessing you. God told Abraham, I will bless you and make you a blessing. Then he says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So the reason why God was blessing Abraham was not so that he would have more cattle and, and servants and all of that, was so that the families of the earth will be blessed through him. Never forget this. There is always responsibility attached to prosperity. Always. If you see anybody prosperous without responsibility, then he did not get it from God. Every time, every time God blesses and increases a man, there is responsibility attached to that prosperity. And the knowledge of that responsibility is what we call stewardship, that you are able to steward the resources that God has blessed or has put in your hands, all right? Okay, so I hope that's clear enough. Um, are we following so far? Let me see your comments. If you're following, just let me know. Um, drop something in the chat. Let me know you're following. You can say, yes, I'm following. Um, you can type in the chat that um, the key to prosperity is stewardship. Just let drop that in the chat. Let me know you are uh, following me so far. The key to prosperity is stewardship. Responsibility and stewardship. Just drop that in the chat and I know we are together. All right. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I see chat from Oge. Thank you. Um, anyone else drop in a chat? Let me know we're all together. Please, for those of us on Mixeller, I would love to see your chat as well. Let me know we are together. Thank you, Ope Olua. The key to prosperity is stewardship. Okay, thank you. So let's proceed. Um, so under stewardship, there are three things I want to talk about, and I hope time will permit us to um, you know, deal with them extensively. If not, we'll continue next week. But the first thing I want to talk about is contentment contentment and um, contentment here simply means the ability to i wrote it down here it says the ability to maintain the state of your heart regardless of the state of your pockets all right so the ability to maintain the state of your heart regardless of the state of your pockets or regardless of your financial state however you want to put it and that is contentment and why is contentment super important and why is the big deal with god is because contentment actually determines where your heart is. You know, when we read um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 earlier, it says you can't serve two masters. You're either serving God or you're serving mammon. And contentment is really what, what indicates who we are serving, whether we're serving God or we're serving mammon. And contentment or discontentment can take very form, um, very, various forms, rather, 
Um, if someone, for instance, has money in their pocket, the way they dance in church and the way they're excited when the, when the pastor shouts, praise the Lord, their hallelujah is always loud because, I mean, have, there's money in their bank account. So it's just fueling that joy and excitement. But when that same person has little money or no money in their bank account, um, it really tells us whether that person is content or not. And if we do not learn to be content, then God will not be able to entrust so many things into our hands because the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, right? Meaning that if whatever will make you to lose your soul, has you have really, really, really lost if you lose your soul. That means if you earn a million dollars, but then you, you lose your soul, from God's perspective, you have lost. There's no profit in that. So what God measures uh, and what God considers to be most valuable is our soul, right? Is your soul. And if anything can tamper with the state of your soul, then you have not come to a place where God can trust you so much. Because remember, God, God loves you more than, God loves you so much that he will not give you what has the potential to destroy you. So what God does is that he builds us up to a place where the absence or the presence of money doesn't change the state of our soul. It doesn't change our disposition. It doesn't change the way we treat people. It doesn't change the way we relate with God. It doesn't change anything at all in that regard. And when, when, when once God can bring us to that level, then he, he can entrust us with riches because nothing can alter the state of our soul. And this is what exactly what contentment is. So as we journey to become stewards of God's resources, first thing he wants to do in our lives is to make us content. And this is why many times when you listen to the you know, testimonies of people that God has, you know, God has made, you find out that there were seasons where God had to work on them and he had to work on their contentment. In fact, Paul puts it this way that I know how to, let, let, let me read it, please. Let's just read it together. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 13. Um, Philippians chapter 10, chapter 4, sorry, from verse 10 to 13. Paul was writing here and he said, but I rejoiced, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. What he was saying in essence was, I'm happy that now you have the opportunity to you know, show your care and your love for me when you didn't have any opportunity before that. Now look at verse 11. He says, not that I speak to respect of wants, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That means God had worked on Paul so much that Regardless of the state, whether people were giving him money or not, whether his business was flourishing or not, whether he was in prison or not, there was just a sense of contentment that didn't change regardless of his disposition. And we must learn, learn to be content when we don't have money as much as when we have money. Contentment applies both ways. And many times people think that it is um, only rich people that are not content or only poor people that are not content, but it goes both ways. Contentment is a, is a state of the heart, not necessarily <clears throat> a state of the pocket. All right? So verse 12 says, I know both how to be abased, meaning I know how to not have, you know, or how to, in, in the context of Nigerian slang, I know how to experience sapa and still be fine. And then he says, and I know how to abound, meaning I know how to have abundance, right? He says, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed 
both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul said, I, was, I have been instructed. And those kinds of instructions come from the dealings God has with us. So like I was saying, when you see people that have been made from God's perspective and that God has blessed eventually, you find out that they've gone through a season of instructing. Where <laughs> I just think about this. I remember my, I'm, I'm re recalling personal experiences, but situations where God used, where God used um, dealings to work in you contentment, where what you desired was maybe a hundred thousand, but all you had available was 10,000 and uh, 10,000 Naira now. And then God had to do something in you to make sure that you were content and you could look at your neighbor or your friend who had, 10 times what you had and still not be not be moved to jealousy or covetousness or any of those emotions. Those kind of dealings, right, is what God uses to build us up to accommodate his resources. And if God has not trained you in the school of contentment, he cannot, he cannot entrust you with his resources. He cannot. And let me tell you what many times what God does. God and, and God uses our people within us, people around us, rather people around us to test our level of contentment. So let's say you have a friend that you guys have been friends for a while. And then all of a sudden your friend got a new job. Uh, maybe they're paying him in foreign currency and compared to your own salary, you, he's earning maybe 25 times more um, than what you are earning by the time you do the math. And then you are looking at him and this is a friend you guys, maybe have, you've been in down moments together and now God has increased him. And there's a temptation for you to begin to ask yourself, so what about me? You begin to do things in the flesh because you've seen your friend who maybe has gotten a job in a new company and you begin to start applying to get a job in that company or in a similar company. And if you check your heart, you're really doing it because your friend has now moved up and you are trying to sort of keep up with him so that you don't keep on feeling small. You know what God will do for you? He will intentionally leave you on that level up to so until you get to a point where the state of your of your pocket doesn't change the state of your heart that you are not envious of your friend you are not jealous you are not none of those things happen um you can still relate with him and still be at peace with yourself and believe in what god is doing in your life that is contentment and when god takes you through that school let me tell you a secret if you find yourself maybe currently going through that experience or you've gone through it before, or something similar, then it is God working your heart and organizing the structure of your heart so that you can accommodate the resources that he's, that you bring into your hand. And you have to come to a point where whether there's money or there's no money, your goal is, is God and your heart is focused on God, who is your goal, all right? So I want to read just a few scriptures about contentment. Um, before we proceed, just a few scriptures rather as we proceed. All right, so first scripture is First um, Timothy chapter six, verse six to eight. Most of, I mean, the scriptures are very much self-explanatory, so I, I might not dwell much, um, dwell much on them. First Timothy chapter six, from verse six to verse eight. All right, um, here again, Apostle Paul says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So the way heaven measures profit, you know how in business, for instance, um, the equation to see if your business is profitable is your um, net income minus your expenditure, and then that should give you profit, right? 
um, I know pay you are in finance, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, your net income or your revenue minus your expenses that should equal your profits, right? Okay, please, am I correct? Yes, you're right. Okay, thank you. Yes. So that's the way. I mean, in business, we we measure profit. But the way heaven measures profit is different. The equation for heaven's profit is if you add godliness plus contentment, it equals profit. That's how heaven measures profit. And that's true that if you take away contentment from your godliness, you know, there are people that are Christians, but they are greedy. They are, they are selfish and all of that. So once you take away contentment, there is no profit anymore. Okay. Um, all right, let, let's move to the next scripture. Luke chapter 12. Okay, we read it earlier, verse 15, um, where Jesus Christ said, beware of all types of greeds. That's the way a, a translation puts it. Beware, it's something you must be conscious about, you must, and you must be cautious about it as well. He says, beware of all types of greed, meaning that there are several layers of greed. Someone may be greedy with, with cars, meaning that they're just covetous, they want to have cars. They don't care about, they may have only one house, maybe one small house, but they can park 15 cars and just wake up in the morning and just look at the cars. That's what gives them satisfaction. For some people, they want to have so many sheds. And you're asking them, have you, can you use all these shirts in a year? They tell you, I don't, I don't care. I just want to have shirts. Some people, they just want love wristwatches. They just keep buying and buying wristwatches that they never even get to exhaust or use in a whole year. The Bible says there are different kinds of greeds, different kinds of greeds. And we have to be careful about such. All right. Um, then last scripture on this note is Hebrews chapter 13, verse five to verse six. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, and verse 5 to verse 6, all right? Uh, the writer of Hebrews here says, let your conversation, the word conversation means your lifestyle or your conduct. Let your conduct be without covetousness. So again, the Bible is instructing us, there should be no covetousness. And covetousness simply means, you know, that simply means, right, you see something in someone that you love and you begin to desire what that person has. Now, there's a, there's a thin line between being inspired by somebody and then wanting what the person has. So let's say, for instance, um, Samuel now. Samuel is my friend. And then Samuel buys a new car. Let's say he buys a Mercedes um, C-Class 2020 or 2022. And because I and Samuel are close, I just begin to desire what Samuel has. Now, one thing you need to know about covetousness is that you are less likely to covet something that belongs to someone you do not know. But you are very likely to covet something that belongs to someone that you know. So usually covetousness happens amongst friends or amongst people that know themselves. So my neighbor, and I remember an, an, an instance, when, we, when I was still like a young, young, young boy, I think I was in primary school then, my dad bought um, Mercedes-Benz 200. I don't know if you remember that one with, with long mouths. Messages Benz 200, what they used to call German mistake, um, because the car was so strong, it, it really spoiled, and it was yellow in color. And I recall that my our landlord then, in the city where we were living in back then, our landlord saw that my dad had bought a car, and I kid you not, the very next week, my landlord went to buy the exact same model of the car. The only thing he didn't buy exact was the color, but a very same model, very same um, brand, everything, he bought it. And that was just, that's just unhealthy, you know, competition. So covetousness usually is amongst people that know themselves or people that are acquainted with one another. 
If I tell you that there's one Mr. Changwu that just bought a, a Lexus, you will not, you don't know Mr. Changwu, it doesn't mean anything to you. But if I come and tell you that, ah, do you remember that your classmate from, from university, that one, his name is James. You say, yes, yes, yes. I remember, ah, James just bought a new Lexus. So if you are not careful, your mind will begin to think that, ah, what about me? Oh, look at me. I'm just driving a, I'm driving a Toyota 2003 model. But my friend has bought Lexus 2020. There's just something that comes inside you. And if you're not careful, you begin to covet what he or she has. All right. So he says, let your conversation or your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. The things that you have, be content with them. If what you have is, you don't have a car, what you have is your two legs and you have transport money, be content with it. If what you have is um, a one-room apartment, be content with it. The secret to growth, and even this is something even unbelievers know and they're applying, that if you really want to grow, you must start from the foundation of, <clears throat> from the foundation of contentment. Contentment is that foundation that we build, that wealth is built upon, built upon. <clears throat> because if you don't have contentment, you will begin to go outside the boundaries of your, con of your conscience just because you want to make money. And that's why there are so many scriptures that talk about contentment. You must be content as a believer. You must be content. And why contentment also is powerful is because there are lessons God wants you to learn at that level of your life that if you are not content, you will be blind to the things he's teaching you. Your attention will be on what somebody else has, how to make what the other person is making or how to have what the other person is having. And the lessons he's teaching you for that season, you will not you will not have it. All right. Imagine if um, Joseph was not content in Potiphar's house or and even in the prison, he would not have learned he would not have learned the lessons of management that he learned in both Potiphar's house and in the prison. Right. And if he did not learn those lessons, it would be impossible for him to be the prime minister because they'll because. There'll be no skill to be the prime minister. Remember that he moved from prison to prime minister. And I know many times we pray for that kind of testimony. Oh God, move me, change my story from prison to prime minister. And I say amen to that. But it will only happen if you have learned the lessons of contentment and management and all the things that God wants to teach you on this particular level that you are. All right. So we need to be content. Content. Okay. So I said here that contentment doesn't mean you can't aspire for more. It simply means that you don't change the state of your heart because you are aspiring for more. So just to balance this here, when we talk about contentment, I'm not saying that you'll be comfortable with your, let's say, um, 100,000 naira salary and you don't aspire to earn more. No, that's not what we're saying. Um, in the heart of everybody, God has put the desire to be more, to, to reach out for more because in reaching out for more, we can give more expression to the glory of God. So contentment doesn't mean you just settle and you become slack and you just, you know, become lackadaisical in your life. And, you know, the Bible says, woe to those who are at ease, who are complacent in Zion. So we're not talking about complacency. That is not contentment. Um, complacency means you just settle and there's no drive for more. There's no aspiration. There's no, nothing in you that pushes for more. No, that is not what contentment means. Contentment means that even in your desire to reach for more, you don't let the state of your heart change as you desire for more. And your motivation for more is not a competition or jealousy or covetousness. Your motivation for more is to give 
expression to what God has placed in your heart. And if you don't give expression to what God has placed in your heart, you will always be dissatisfied. If you keep on settling, just using money now, monetary value, as of course, it's easy to relate with. If you keep settling for at that level of 100,000 naira salary, all right, and you don't desire in your heart to reach out for more and, and do more, right, you will always be, be you always be dissatisfied because in your heart, you know that you can do more, but because you've sold yourself to the gospel of complacency, you will not reach out for more. So just to balance things, contentment is not complacency or it's not um, you being slack. Contentment means that at whatever level you are, you are full of joy, you are full of excitement, you are, you are grateful to God for what he's doing on that level as you reach out for more. Then finally, on, about contentment, I say this here that thanksgiving is what fuels contentment. If you really want to be content with where you are, then learn to give thanks. Because it's easy to look at what somebody has and begin to feel like God has not done anything in your life. And if you are not careful, every layer of your life, you keep on feeling that way. So when you got a job, right, you were excited. But, and meanwhile, you, you had, you were among friends who, you were all looking for, for a job and they haven't gotten a job yet, but you've gotten a job. And you know, you're excited initially, but then once you start working, you, you begin to notice that, ah, this person is earning two times my salary. Or this other person just got a promo promotion. And all of a sudden, that testimony of a job fades from your memory because you are now looking from you are you are looking uh, from a place of covetousness or competition and then you can no longer be content so if you want to stay content thanksgiving is the way be thankful whatever level you are if you are in a business you don't think you've sold these two items be, be thankful if all your customers you all around the world is just five be be thankful whatever level you are be thankful. That is the secret to contentment. All right. And let me just say this again. Thanksgiving is the secret to contentment. It is the secret to contentment. You know, there, there, there are times, and let, let me share just personal, personal, you know, um, story. You know, there was a time where <clears throat> um, I was, I was earning a certain amount, right? And I was speaking to a close friend of mine and, you know, we were just talking about finance and everything. I just, he told me how much he was earning. And it was almost as if my heart just sank because it was anyway more than me. And I just, for a split second, I was wondering what I was doing in my life, <laughs> you know? And I began to feel like, God, what is going on? But immediately I, I had to snap out, snap out of it and, you know, just start thanking God, start thanking God. And this was maybe a year or so ago. And fast forward now, God has blessed me way more than even that figure. And I'm, I'm just using this as comparison, not competition now. With that, with that person. But in comparison to the figure, God has blessed me way more than that. And I now look back and say, wow, imagine if I was not content, I would have, I would have it looks so foolish now thinking about it, how I was uh, maybe getting, you know, feeling low about how much someone else was any more than me. And fast forward to, fast forward to today, God has blessed me beyond even that figure that was making me feel low and downcast, all right? And many times we lose sight of contentment or we are not content because we are not thankful. So please, and maybe I should end on this note, thanksgiving is the way, all right? If you want to stay content in your heart, you want to um, maintain that position of contentment, which is the foundation for prosperity in the sight of God, 
all right, then you must learn to be thankful. Look around you. What do I have? I only have two pairs of jeans. I have three t-shirts. That's all in my wardrobe. Be thankful. If all that you have is um, um, five loaves and two fish, remember what Jesus Christ did. He first and foremost gave thanks. That is contentment. And that's really, that should be our disposition to every level we are in at life, contentment. Just being grateful to God for bringing where he is. And that would propel, um, that would propel him to even bless us more. And secondly, it will open our eyes to see what God is doing. Open our eyes to the miraculous. It will open our eyes to the, to the secret of multiplication. Okay. All right. So we have to stop here because of time. Um, there are three things I mentioned. Remember, we could we only took one, which is contentment. The other two are giving and financial prudence. So remember, we talked about um, that finances from God's perspective is stewardship. God doesn't just bless you because um, he wants you to have 25 cars and all of that. Of course, God wants you to be comfortable, but God's blessing and God's increase, especially financially, is from the perspective of stewardship. And I said under stewardship, there are three things that we are looking at. Number one is contentment. Without contentment, you cannot be a good steward of God's resources. Then number two is giving. We're looking at um, financial giving or, or benevolence or generosity, whichever word you want to use for it. And then number three is financial prudence. And that financial prudence, I think we're going to shake a lot of tables, but when we get to that point. All right, so I just want to stop here today because um, I want us to stick to time. But um, before we close, I want to hear from us. Do we have any questions so far? Um, just anything we've talked about today and um, or any thought that crossed your mind as regarding the topic. Um, do we have any questions that we want to, we want to ask? Uh, let me start with questions first. Anybody with any question? For those of us on Mixlr, please, you can type in your questions if you do have any questions at all, at all, at all, at all. Any questions about, um, about contentment, about, you know, stewardship or, or any other thing? Okay, so I, while questions are still trying to come in, um, also let me ask us, what was something that we learned today? You know, something that was either reinforced in your heart or something that maybe you want to share, you want to share with us how you, one of the ways that you remain content or one of the things that keep you content. Um, I, of course, I mentioned Thanksgiving already, but is there any other thing that, you know, any, any other secret or any other key that God has revealed to you or that you apply in your personal life that helps you with staying content with wherever you are? Please feel free and share with us. Um, okay, Oge dropped in the, in the chat. Great session. Thank you. Thank you to Oge. God bless you. Anyone wants to share their learning points or how they stay content? Yeah, I'm going to share something. Okay, yes, go ahead, please. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yes, so something that has helped me stay content or grateful is... Um, please, can you, I, be, I, can you be more audible? Sorry, we're struggling to pick your words. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, I better now. Yes, go ahead, please. It's better now, right? 
yes it is much better now okay well. yeah something that helps me to be more content when i'm trying to compare and all that is i try to remember what the past was like like just remember the past few months the position you were in maybe you were looking for a job or something and then maybe you get the job and you're not happy or you're not content and then you remember that oh i actually prayed for this and then it just reminds me to be thankful so like you said thanksgiving and also looking back into the past mm. and remembering that this is also an answered prayer yeah that's it thank you thank you very much so looking back in the past um yeah amazing that feels your thanksgiving thank you very much okay um non so your hand is up you can go ahead praise the lord hallelujah so yes i think i've made uh, my point so it's actually something i do from time to time this thing you said about um, seeing your mates going ahead looks like they're making much more progress and all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was there. I was there full time, and uh, I just look around and uh, you see this person is gotten a job on so place. This person is working with MTN. This person is doing this, and then even some that are busy splashing wealth online. Your mate buying Lexus. 2016 model. I'm like, where on they see this money? Mm-hmm. Praise God. Yeah, so, but in the midst of the whole thing, I still understood that, okay, this is my own story. This is my own journey. This is my own process. So mm-hmm. in the end, it's going to get better. So then I, just, what I was even ending then, not, nothing to even talk, nothing to even talk about. There was, there was no salary. Those allowance. <laughs> so, so yeah, but like that, I just saw God. You know, you know when you are in that, uh, will I call it your silent season, or that period where you feel like okay, nothing is happening so much, and your heart starts getting trouble. Before you know it, while you're praying and all that in the midst of everything, God will begin to show you pockets of miracles here and there. It will be as little. Very little. So if one is not sensitive in that regard, you will neglect the little things and refuse to give thanks. Mm. So thanksgiving is very, very powerful. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for that um, sharing. So God bless you. Um, you know, the last thing you said is reminds me, very powerful, reminds me of a lot that even in that season of waiting or that valley season, right, where you're still trusting God for your own miracle or your own big break as it were, um god what god does is that he gives you pockets of testimonies and if you are if you are not a grateful person or you are not a content person you miss out of those signs and those testimonies and they are very powerful because they are a proof they are they are a proof that god is still working in your life um i remember one day and it was i was still dating my wife then uh, were we dating yet i don't know if we're officially dating or we're just friends at that point but anyways, I was working in this company, and at that point, um, my, I, my like no so say it wasn't even salary; it was allowance. <laughs> and then one particular day, we we're going for a program, and I recall that I only had two hundred and fifty naira or something like that, less than three hundred naira on me. And that day, I spoke to God in my heart, and I said, "God, this money I have is not enough for transport for where I'm going to. But if you..." If you take me to where I'm going to, I will never forget this day. And honestly, as God will have it that day, my transport money was paid for. 
And eventually the money that that less than 300 naira was sufficient for where I was going to. And that day I knew beyond any doubt that God was with me. It was just like Joseph in the prison that the Bible says in prison that God was with Joseph. There must have been things that God did for Joseph that even though he was in prison, you no, know, he felt like he was in bondage or he was in a low season of his life. But God did certain things to prove to Joseph that he was with Joseph. And so if we're not sensitive enough, we'll miss out of those pockets of opportunities that God shows us to reveal to us that he is with us. Thank you very much for that sharing. Um, on Mixer Larson says that take home is you cannot desire the throne of Joseph and escape his training. Fantastic. You cannot desire the throne of, jo of Joseph and escape the training of Joseph. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, on Zoom also, Oge says that I, I agree that an attitude of contentment is very important. It keeps us humble at heart, even in the midst of abundance or deficit. God lifts the humble. Thank you so much for sharing. So contentment keeps us humble at heart. And eventually the Bible says that God um, lifts the humble or God exalts the humble. Great, 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 great. Thank you so much, guys, for your sharing. Is there anyone finally before we go? Um, if there is, you can just um, drop it in the chat or you can, um, you know, speak up for those of us on, on Zoom. Five seconds, go in, go in. That thing in your heart, don't hide it. Say it, say it out. Speak it out. Um, Allow your day, joy. Let me see who hasn't spoken. Samuel, Emily. Um, all right, I think that's it for us on Zoom. Any final words before we close? Okay, none. All right, all right. So, um, really, really insightful. Thank you very much, everyone. And, and your sharings also have, you know, blessed me personally as well. And just to really encourage someone that, and like, you know, like I said earlier, if you're going through a season where God is testing your contentment, it is because he wants, he's about to bless you with so much, but he needs to lay the foundation. He needs to lay the, the groundwork. You know, before, before a train is able to, you know, move, there has to be what, what we, what's called the train tracks, right? Because the train, no matter how big it is, has to go on the tracks. And that's what God does with us. Before the big train of blessings and financial abundance comes, he has to lay the tracks of contentment. Because like I said, God doesn't want to bless us and lose our soul and 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 we end up losing our soul because our soul before god is very valuable so he has to lay the tracks of contentment before the train of pros prosperity will ride on it all right so let's close with a word of prayer i just want you to pray wherever you are just close your eyes and just pray and ask god to give you a, to strengthen contentment in your heart to give you a content heart um that whatever situation you are in whatever level you are in that god will give you con that god will help you to to be content, man, um, to be content, sorry, that God will help you to be content on whatever, whatever level you are, whether there is abundance, whether there is not abundance, um, that God will help you to be content wherever you are, that you'll be able to speak like Apostle Paul boldly and say, I have learned, I've been instructed to abound and to abase, that whatever situation I have been instructed um, to be content, and that's in that context that he said, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me? I just wanted to pray in a minute and say, Lord, help me to live a life of contentment. 
help me to live a life of contentment, that my life will not be laden with covetousness or greed or competition, but I will live a life of contentment in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for all you have spoken to our hearts today. We are grateful for teaching us your word, for inspiring us in the truth. We are, we are eternally grateful. We ask, oh Lord, this uh, moment, right, this day, that you, you help us to live a life of contentment. Whatever season you take us through, whatever experiences we'll go through, help us to live the life of contentment. That even when we, when we do not have, we'll be content. When we have in surplus, we'll be content. That we'll not see financial resources as an avenue to um, work in pride or to rob, it, rob off um, on other people and to you know talk down or look down on other people. That we will sustain humility of heart to accommodate um, the resources and the blessings that you're bringing our way, especially financially. Help us, dear Holy Spirit, to be thankful that we will not forget what you have done for us because of the things we are, we are still hoping to be done. That we will not forget your goodness and your kindness because of what we're expecting to come. That in every season, we will remember your kindness and faithfulness in our lives, and that will fuel our contentment. Blessed be your name, dear Lord, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, everyone. God bless you for today. Um, um, just one more thing before we...